0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on cell and gene therapy, current landscape, lessons learned, and paths forward from the 2022 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast.
1: Well, hello everybody. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there, but anyway. <laughs> Look, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure being here today. Is this work? No, it's a real pleasure being here today and, and seeing many familiar f- faces and old friends, and it's great to be back in person. I want to first congratulate Kate and the team here for yet another spectacular conference. The amount of practical information that's shared at these conferences is really astounding and impressive. Um, We have, I think, a terrific lineup of presentations today. Each one of them uh, presents something that's cutting-edge and important in the space of cell therapy, whether it's clinical trial data, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's the regulatory landscape. So I think, and I hope you find all of this uh, to be really useful for you. I'm going to give an introduction with a a different title, because the one I had initially was just too broad. Cell Therapy, Past, Present, and Future. So... uh, Let's see, whoops, that was the past. That was the future. Okay, a couple disclosures of stuff that you should perhaps know about. Um, Cell therapy, as we've heard from multiple speakers, has entered the mainstream of medicine. It's become the fourth pillar of medicine, joining biologics, pharmaceuticals, devices. Seven approved products, right? Four in B cell malignancies, two in myeloma, and of course, The original one, Provenge and Prostate Cancer, which is a cell therapy product. Courtesy of CRI and uh, Jay Campbell, the recent data, 71 ongoing advanced phase clinical trials. Uh, That was as of April 21. And 2,073 active cell therapy trials for the CRI website. So this is just an exploding space with rocket ships, as Iman pointed out. It's been evaluated and applied across therapeutic areas, its roots were in oncology, but it's now in autoimmunity, neurodegeneration, cardiovascular disease, and I suspect other areas also. It employs multiple cell types, alpha-beta T cells, NK cells, gamma-delta cells, NK, DC, macrophage, B cells, and I'm sure I'm missing at least one cell from this population. And yet, we're only at the beginning. More than 90% of patients do not respond and do not have a current possibility to benefit through this therapy. So this is really a tremendous amount going on, a lot left to do. The active landscape is extensive and broad, again, from the CR website. And if you're not familiar with the website, by all means, take a look at it. It is an incredible source of resources, not only for cell therapy, but also for IO in general. So lots of trials going on, lots of different cell types, T-cells, TIL cells, TCR cells, other cell therapies, an exploding landscape. I want to take you through the evolution of cell therapy just a little bit for context. The first iteration that we can recognize is hematopoietic cell transplantation. Late 50s, early 60s, reasonable benefit, reasonable subset of patients. Really such high risk of toxicity, particularly with the GVHD, that it remains that way today. Evolved into DLI, mid-60s, a few years later. Again, reasonable benefit and reasonable subset. Really highly toxic and not, not what we wanted to be giving folks if we had our choice. The emergence of non-engineered autologous cell products, lac cells, T-cells, and K-cells, even DC in the 80s. Really modest benefit, and we're being generous by saying modest, but let's say modest benefit in a modest subset of patients. Not really toxic, but it didn't really do much. TILs came into the late 80s clinically. Significant benefit in a modest subset of patients. Really complex and cumbersome manufacturing, but I think TILs were the first iteration that demonstrated the remarkable potential of a T-cell therapy approach. The iteration that most of us recognize, molecular engineered antigen-specific cell products, late 90s all the way to today, most of what we talked about before is what we talked about in the previous slide is this class of molecules, significant benefit, a significant subset of patients in liquid tumors, reasonable risk of toxicity, we are familiar with that, and limited really by the intrinsic biology of T cells, the tumor microenvironment, and effector cells. So arguably... The benefit of this, this generation of cell therapies is, is really it's reached its close to its max. What we're thinking about today and what we're talking about today is synthetic biology-enabled cell therapy products. Going to be entering the clinic in 22, maybe early 23. Optimized in terms of biology and operational effectiveness. They're potent. They're broadly effective. They're limited to no toxicities, we hope. And really, they're made in a cost-and-time-efficient manufacturing approach, and they're given in a way in a treatment paradigm that, that makes that's a lot easier to give to patients. And there's a lot packed into these statements. Each one of these is a thesis, right? But in general terms, that's what we mean by operational effectiveness. I want to talk a little bit about the biological innovation, I'll show this to you in this descriptive way. And we started out with non-engineered cells. No receptor, no edits, no circuits, no integration, of course. That was V0. We went into V1, which is what, we're using, what we've generated the bulk of the data on cell therapy with, where we've introduced the receptor. The receptor is integrated somewhere randomly in the genome, maybe in multiple locations, so there's those green circles. That's what's given us the activity. The red is an inhibitory molecule on the surface. Call it what you want. We're at the precipice, or at the, at the point where we are now engineering out that type of a circuit. So we have gene edits introduced into the picture. And we're going to understand what this does. And this still modifies biology. What synthetic circuits uniquely do, which I think is who we all, I hope you all agree is part of the future of the space, is to create and drive new biology, to mitigate all of the complexities of the tumor and the microenvironment, and, in fact, the homeostatic aspects of T cell biology. So just to summarize, molecular biology co-ops known biology, add or remove a known function, gene transfers, knockouts, TCR transfers, Synthetic biology, in fact, creates new biology, mechanistically novel and unprecedented in nature biology, stuff that hasn't been seen. The first iteration, or a first iteration, are the the second generation cars, hooking in COSTMs and other signals. But it goes way beyond there, right? We can think about chimeric fusion proteins, synthetic cytokines, novel response elements, the multitude of future innovation that... At least I can't conceive of and put on paper. So the future for us, I think, is based on developing synthetic biology. So what are the biological obstacles in cell therapy that can be dealt with synthetic biology and maybe in some cases non-synthetic biology, molecular biology? Chronic antigen exposure, T-cell exhaustion, and functional dysregulation right the need for a persisting cell the area under the curve that was published right the, the, the number of cells that you grow over a period of time that gives you clinical activity and the consequences of physiological contraction in meningitis on that how do we deal with that The tumor microenvironment, we're all familiar with. I'm saying nothing now but here. Suppressive cells and factors. Suppressive metabolism, that's probably really key to the puzzle. Trafficking, how do you go with the tumor architecture? How do you deal with angiogenic and lymphatic dysregulation? And finally, targets. The universe of targets that we can go after is really limited because of the need for these to be tumor-specific and ultimately truncal or driver. They need to be expressed in every tumor cell for the therapies to be curative. Right? We have seen examples in the clinic with targets that are expressed in half of the cells in the tumor mass or four-fifths or what have you. The most profound example is the, the ALL second patient that we treated at Penn who had 0.05% percent cd 19 negative cells. 30 days after the infusion, this patient relapsed with 19 negative disease. We have to be able to go after every cell in the tumor mass. So we can think about conditional activation and exhaustion nodes to deal with chronic antigen exposure, identifying these critical nodes that are fundamental to the exhaustion process. And there's different strategies to go after each of these, right? We can think about selected subsets infusion with functional attributes that allow them to persist longer. We can think about cytokine engineering to enhance the proliferation and perhaps persistence of the cells. And we can identify contraction pathways, right? The physiological process of a contraction that happens after a T cell response, and how can we modulate that effectively? Tumor microenvironment, we can think about dominant negative receptors. And we are thinking about these, of course, switch receptors, metabolic engineering. How do you mitigate that incredibly complex landscape? Chemokine engineering and stromal disruption pathways, maybe that's part of what the conditioning regimen does, of course. Then in terms of targets, how can we create end or gating strategies? How can you go after multi-specific targeting if they're not clonal target antigens? How do we identify a broader universe of functional, of targetable targets in these cells? So we come out into this cell with a target integration. The two greens have now become a blue circle. A disruption somewhere in the genome some sort of synthetic circuit and this purple sort of flash-like thing is supposed to say this is just a novel and disruptive biology that's, that's developed. Um, operational obstacles in cell therapy. I apologize for the circa 1980 apheresis uh, schema. I like to do an homage to Phil Greenberg, who's a lab by postdoc, and this, this comes from his original slide, really the pioneer of adoptive cell transfer. The issues are cost of goods. It's really expensive to make these things today. Uh, how do you manufacture and distribute these in an effective way? The cost of time to make the products and the treatment and the complexities of giving the therapies today. How do we deal with those, right? So commoditized consumables, lower doses, allergenic products, all areas to reduce cost of goods, uh, cost of time. You can reduce manufacturing time. We'll hear, by the way, in, in a number of these bullets and points, we'll hear some of the cutting edge talks today. You know, how do you reduce the manufacturing time of ontologous cell products so you can make it in a time that allows us to overcome that obstacle? Of course, off-the-shell products reduce the cost of time. Uh, whoops. I apologize. Uh, manufacturing distribution. Can we manufacture these cells on-site? Can we deliver them, manufacture and deliver ex vivo? Can we deliver them in vivo? There's at least a half dozen and more companies that are looking to develop in vivo cardiotherapies. therapies? And can we streamline the manufacturing distribution chain so that it makes much more sense? And finally, in terms of treatment, can we do this in an outpatient setting? Can we minimize conditioning? Can we, in fact, eliminate conditioning? One of the fundamental papers that I think about when I think about the space is a paper that was published by Penn in Nature in 2017. I think Joe was the first author. The TET, the Tet Disruption where a TET disrupted cell expanded in a lympho-replete patient and became 90% of the patient's T cells and eliminated disease. We don't need to lymphodeplete. We just have to figure out how do we go about it. How do we minimize CRS and how do we reduce long-term monitoring, right? That's right now we have to monitor for 15 years with with costs and time and all that stuff that comes along with it. uh, the syringe is a poor man's model of how do we get to pulling out a little bit of blood or working with a little bit of blood and making really potent cell products. <clears throat> so there are key technological innovations that will drive the future of cell therapy, and I'd like to capture them in this slide, at least my thoughts. Targeted engineering. We heard a wonderful talk this morning from, from Rachel Horowitz at Caribou about how they're approaching this. You know, what's the engineering platform that you use? Is it CRISPR? Is it next generation CRISPR? Is it something else? How do you engineer? That's a fundamental technology that is being built out and needs to build out further. Integration site biology, how do we think about that? Right now everybody knocks into the track locus, right? Great work to support that preclinically. But where do we go from there? Do we think about integration sites where you can modulate genes that you put in there to functions that you want them to have? Off-target risk, it's going to be an issue. It's been the result of delays and holds in the setting of cell therapy. How do we deal with the off-target risk as a platform technology play? And how do we increase the large cargo capacity, right? If we're talking about these complex circuits, that's a lot more than 6KB of DNA. How do we get to the point where we can deliver technologies that will enable that to happen? Autologous platforms, reduce cost of goods and cost of time, how do we do that? How do we enable non-viral deliveries, whether it's electroporation or squeezing cells to let stuff in or something else that I haven't thought about or I'm not aware of? In- on-site manufacturing, in-vivo manufacture, those are part of the platform built for the autologous therapy angle. Allogeneic, of course, the, the fantastic potential of the IPSC platform. How can we maximize that and all of the inefficiency that exists in it today? How do we deal with immunogenicity? And we heard again from Rachel today, the efforts of caribou, but there may be more than that, right? If we want to have long-term persisting cells, I have two minutes. It says seven here. I'm going to eat up my time. And repeat dosing, it's easy to say, but how do we do repeat dosing in a way that biologically enables for superior, effective cell products? Biology, optimal set type subset, the need to lymphodeplete, Single cell based analytics. We're going to hear from Danny Wells and Immuni later today about applying that platform to discover nodes and actionable pathways. How do we understand, in a broader sense, global and tumor type suppressive mechanisms at play? Synthetic biology, such an exciting area, right? Conditional activation of cars and circuits, environmental tuning, novel target enablement, cytokines and growth factor engineering, this incredibly important space that's going to drive the future of cell therapy. And finally, polypharmacology, right? We're creating drugs, T-cells, that contain within the multiple pharmacologies. How do we do that? How do we integrate all of these pharmacologies in a way that makes not only sense to us, but makes sense to the cell? And mRNA engineering, of course, and its potential to, to help in this polypharmacology setting. Uh, so a robust innovation pipeline is driving the evolution of cell therapy so robust that when I, when I started thinking about it, it kind of took my breath away in a sense. In the clinical setting, CRISPR-engineered products, they're there, dual specificity cards, affinity-tuned car T's, Allergenic products, defined subset-based products, dominant negative and switch receptors—these things are in the clinic today, and we're learning. We're going to learn, and we're learning from those data. Engineered iPSC-derived products—I couldn't, I don't want to list the products and sp- the companies and sponsors for each one of these—but happy to talk about this if you're not aware of them. Engineered NK cells, gamma delta cells—we're going to hear from Blake Aftab later today—and the exciting data from Adaset, macrophage. All of this is happening today, and we're going to learn from that. But what's ahead of us is even more exciting, right? Functional enhancements via novel knockouts, knock-ins, and knockdowns of genes. And we discover these genes. Some of them we're just going to put in the clinic because we think they're relevant. And some of them we're going to discover through single-cell analytics, IA-driven discovery, from the data that's coming out of the clinical programs, right? Synthetic circuit-driven products, engineered cytokine, I'm running out of time, I guess, so I can I'd go down all the lists, but, but there's a lot of tremendously and remarkably exciting stuff coming down in the next three to five years that will be entering the clinic. So significant challenges remain. Robust activity against, against tum- solid tumors is elusive. Novel toxicities and significant observe, observe, adverse events have been observed in the ongoing trials. That's made cell therapy a disappointment per Andrew Baum, but that's part of the process, right? Numerous recent clinical holds, mechanisms of response and resistance remain largely undefined. We think we know what matters, but we don't know. These are all technology development related and pushing the boundaries of science to develop curative therapies. This is part of what we all signed up as scientists to, to, ch- to go after these incredibly difficult challenges. But the future is nonetheless compelling. I think we're at a tremendous space in the space, and I remain fantastically excited about where we're going to go. So thank you for your attention. And given that I work for myself, I'll end it with this ending. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kalos. So maybe we have time for one one or two questions. If anybody has a question you're not. Dr.
0: I'm Michael Sageller from NIH. Michael, I thought it was a great talk. I actually have a, a theoretical question, which I'd like you to opine on. <clears throat> that 20 or 30 years ago, when the field was starting, the hope would be twofold: that there would be cancer patients who would benefit with longer lives compared to cytotoxic therapies. So it would be it would be more effective. In addition, though, it would provide the patient a better quality of life than cytotoxic and existing therapies. It seems as though there is almost complete emphasis on impacting the 90% of those patients who are not currently helped, and let's just say not so much attention to the quality of life impact of these treatments. So I just want to get your opinion. Is, is, in, is the field providing to the patient uh, enough attention to the quality of life impact of these treatments?
1: Yeah. It's a great question, Michael. And I'll, you know, I think we have to look, well, first of all, I'll say this. Um, the patients that suffered considerable CRS at the early pen trials, which was something that we didn't anticipate, but we saw, right? today, eight years later, live a quality and cancer-free life. So there's a longer-term quality of life for the patients, even in those toxic, toxic cases. Um, As you know, right, this issue of CRS and related toxicity is something that is on top of the mind of everybody. And I think if you look at it in a moment in time, we haven't cracked that nut yet. But it's part and parcel of every trial that we do. And part of the, for example, the the power and promise of synthetic circuits is the conditional activation, for example, will mitigate toxicity. We don't only say they're going to work better. We always say we hope and we aim for reduction of the toxicity. So I think, um, I guess I'll disagree with your statement that it isn't paid attention to. Um, Every trial is also done first to not do harm and then to examine the effectiveness, right? These are, I'll leave it at that.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.